Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to For Fox's Sake, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and the Missouri Dixisle in the chair next to me is Ellen. I'm sorry, what did you just call me? A Dixisle. It's, it's kind of bird. Sure mm-hmm. it is. I think you just wanted to call me a dick. I mean, that was just kind of the icing on the cake, but it really is just a cute little Midwestern bird. I guess if nothing else, I can acquiesce to being called a cute little Midwestern bird. There you go, see? And with that, let's fly into the Phoenix flashback. Last week, we covered the second half of Chapter 33, Fight and Flight, and the corresponding film scenes. Hermione tries to point out that Harry is putting the cart before the horsey bird, but he has his blinders on. Ron gets a win, but in true movie fashion, we can't actually let him have it without insulting him in the process. Neville is the surprising voice of persuasion. Luna is the dreamy voice of reason. Ginny is the sassy voice of Harry's future dreams. And Harry tries to deny the others of their right to meddle, but gets schooled by his own words. During episode 179, A Lot of Things Food, our Potter pondering was, what are your thoughts on the changes from book to movie of how Ron, Ginny, Neville, and Luna escaped from the Inquisitorial Squad? Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter pondering. What are my thoughts on how the book and movie differ on how Ron, Luna, Ginny, and Neville got away from the Inquisitorial Squad? In this instance... I'm not pissed off. Round of applause. (laughs) I honestly, while the book kind of stayed close to, you know, Harry being the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher this year and taught us this shit, now look what we did. Yeah. Thank you, Professor Harry. (laughs) I like what the movie did. I like, even though it would be nice to see it, but I like the puke and pastels. I thought that was hilarious. I thought that it was cool that Ron got the props for that. And that seems like something that Ron would fucking do. He would so totally get those little dudes over there puking up their guts. That's definitely Ron, 100%. I like both versions. I do. I like Professor Potter and Ron. Fuck around and find out. I like them both. For once, I'm not mad at the movie. Hey guys, it's Jackson with my Potter Pondering. What do I think of the difference in book to movie? How Ron, Ginny, Neville and Luna escape from the Inquisitorial Squad? Hate it. Well, I mean, it was funny. I'll grant them that. The whole, you know, wanting the puking pastels thing, pretending to want lollies and have them give them to them, but to spew up. But, you know... I just, I don't know, I really wanted to hear about Ginny's bat bogey hex. We never see or hear of Ginny's bat bogey hex in the films. It's a shame because it's what she's most known for. Oh, let's, why? 
Hi, this is Jessica calling in this week's Potter Pondering about the DA escaping the Inquisitorial Squad. Ron stunning and disarming them, Neville using impedimenta, Ginny with her brilliantly executed bat bogey hex. Not only do they not mention Ginny's hexing skills, but they completely ignored the fact that she cast it on Draco, too. And instead, Ron offered them some freaking candy? The movies just really hate Ron, don't they? He's actually so talented with magic and we practically never get to see him actually use magic. And they did a huge disservice to Neville, too. Like, what the hell? They didn't show them actually escaping in the book, so why did they have to change the dialogue? Just like the number of presents that Dudley got for his damn birthday. Why do these details have to change when it literally has no effect on the actual production of the movie? I will never understand it. Is this a huge detail? No. But that just makes it even more annoying that it's changed. The candy that they give to Crab and Goyle on them is the magic candy from Fred and George Weasley Weezes. But... I still would have preferred them using the skills that Harry taught them in Dumbledore's army. Like, that was the whole point of them learning these things so they could defend themselves and use these skills to defend each other when that time came, when it mattered most. And instead, they took that away from them and just thought, Oh, you know, oh, I use this candy. Like, why? Why? Well, that's my thought on the matter. Bye! Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was, What does Harry's Ministry Visitor Badge say? It says, Harry Potter, Rescue Mission. Congratulations goes to Mike Riley! Like I commented on Facebook, so much for him or Megan starting to sweat about Kalista's streak. Apparently. Mike didn't even think there was ever a concern, though, especially since he's been helping me with the summaries. It's basically got him studying. Hmm. Which is exactly what Hermione, I mean, Megan does. <laughs> True. But I love it. Our little trivia contest could literally belong to anyone. Who's going to get it right this week? We shall see. For now, let's dive into the first half of Chapter 34, the Department of Mysteries, and the slightly corresponding film scenes. Chapter 34, the Department of Mysteries, Part 1. Harry climbs onto the nearest Thestral, and it does not object, though it does try to keep licking the blood off his robes. He finds a secure way to sit before looking around at the others. Neville is lying on his stomach on the Thestral's back, trying to get his leg over it. And Luna is sitting side-saddle on her own, looking as if she does this every day. Ron, Hermione, and Ginny are standing motionless, open-mouthed, and staring. Harry asks them what, and Ron wonders how they're meant to get on. Luna gets down to go help them, pulling them over to the other Thestrals and helping them mount one by one. They all look very nervous when Luna wraps their hands in the Thestral's manes before remounting her own. Ron murmurs about it being mad and wishes he could see it. Harry darkly reminds him that it would be better if it stays invisible. 
They are finally ready, and Harry hesitantly tells his Thestral to take him to the visitor's entry at the Ministry of Magic in London. For a moment, it doesn't do anything. Then its wings sweep out of either side, and the Thestral crouches and rockets upward so quickly and steeply that Harry has to clench his arms and legs to avoid sliding off its back. He closes his eyes and presses his face into the Thestral's mane as they burst through the forest's canopy and out into the sun. Harry does not think he has ever moved so fast as they streak over the castle with the Thestral's wings barely beating. He looks back and sees his companions are all still behind him, bent low in their seats. They fly over the ground in Hogsmeade and speed past other villages as the light fails. Ron yells how bizarre it is, and Harry has to imagine what it would be like speeding along without any visible support. Soon the light is gone, and they only have the lights of the towns below to tell them how high they are and how fast they're moving. Harry keeps his arms wrapped around the Thestral's neck, willing it to go even faster, wondering how long it's been since he first saw Sirius being tortured. He knows that Sirius has neither given up nor died yet, because he's convinced either of those events will cause him to feel Voldemort's rage or jubilation himself by making his scar burn. As they fly, Harry has intrusive thoughts about the idea that they are too late or that Voldemort might decide Sirius isn't going to break before he finally feels them start to descend. He thinks he hears a shriek behind him and turns dangerously but cannot see anyone falling and figures they likely had just been as shocked as he had. As they near the ground, Harry realizes they're still moving very fast and braces himself for a sudden impact. However, the Thestral touches down as lightly as a shadow, and Harry slides from its back and recognizes the telephone box and overflowing skip. Ron lands nearby and immediately falls off, saying he's never doing that again as he walks away from the Thestral. But since he can't see it, he actually walks directly into it and almost falls over again. Hermione and Ginny land next, not falling off their Thestrals, but clearly looking very happy to be back on the ground. Neville jumps down from his, shaking, and Luna dismounts smoothly. She disinterestedly asks where they're headed next, and Harry leads them over to the telephone box and ushers them all in. They cram themselves into it, and he tells whoever can reach the receiver to dial 62442. Ron is able to reach by bending his arm bizarrely, and the female voice welcomes them to the Ministry of Magic and asks them for their names and business. Harry gives all of their names and says they're there to save someone. Six badges appear with their names and rescue mission printed on them. The voice reminds them to submit to a search and wand registration, and Harry says, fine, now can we move? The box moves and they descend into the ministry. Harry bends his knees as much as he can to look and see if anyone is waiting for them in the atrium, but there is no one. The box opens and they topple out. The only sound in the atrium comes from the golden fountain spraying the water that lands in the pool. They sprint down the atrium and Harry notes that there isn't any security wizard at the desk, which he takes to be an ominous sign. He calls the lift and they get in, heading down to the ninth level. Harry notices that the lift sounds far louder than it had the day he came with Mr. Weasley, and he's sure that the noise will attract all the security people in the ministry. But when they get to the ninth level, it's empty. He sees the black door at the end of the hall, finally here after dreaming about it all year. He leads his way down the corridor, stopping to say that someone should stay there to act as a lookout. 
The idea is shot down by Neville and Ginny, and Ron says that they should just get on with it. Harry still doesn't want to take them all, but doesn't see that he has a choice. He walks towards the door, and it opens on its own. They emerge into a large circular room where everything is black, identical, and unmarked, with handleless black doors set at intervals around the walls. There are candles between each door whose flames burn blue, making it seem like there's dark water underfoot. Harry instructs someone to shut the door, and as Neville does, the light from the hallway is cut off, so they can only see the blue-flamed candles. Then, with a rumbling noise, the candles begin to move sideways as the wall starts rotating. The speed of the wall blurs the candles into a line until the rumbling in the wall stops. Ron asks what that was about, and Ginny points out that it's likely to keep them from knowing which door they came through. Harry realizes that she's right, because he has no idea which door they'd come from, as the 12 doors are all identical. The movie section starts off with an aerial view of the Forbidden Forest before Harry flies into view on the back of a Thestral. The camera follows them into the sky, heading towards the castle as Ron, Hermione, Ginny, Neville, and Luna all enter the shot flying behind him. The scene transitions to them flying through the clouds in the now darker sky, accompanied by lightning and thunder. They emerge from the clouds and fly down towards the city before cutting to them running through the atrium of the Ministry of Magic. It cuts again as the elevator doors open and a voice announces their arrival on the Department of Mysteries level, before showing the long, black-tiled corridor with the door at the opposite end from Harry's dreams. Harry cautiously steps off the elevator with Ron and Hermione directly behind him, Ginny and Neville behind them, and Luna in the back. Harry informs them that they are in the right place and begins to lead them down the hall to a large blue door with a round silver doorknob in the middle. You know, honestly... Slightly corresponding may not have been the best way to word that because they correspond super accurately. They just took out everything? Yeah. It's like a corresponding... Skeleton. It's like a ghost of correspondence. Yeah, it's like, these are the bones. You don't really need anything else. This gets the point across. Yeah, I mean, I get what was going on. You understand what they were doing, how they got there, why they were there, all that stuff. It very clearly transitioned from A to B. Like we were saying, they planted the seeds and then they jumped to the fully grown garden. Yeah. They just did not give us any details. <laughs> details, shmeetails, we don't need details. I wish we had them, though. Boy, so do I. <laughs> right? But anyway, the book chapter starts off as Harry is getting onto his Thestral, his emaciated horsey bird. Mm -hmm. It seems perfectly comfortable with this idea. Sure. They are very intelligent creatures. Very intuitive. It seems. Yeah, Hagrid yeah. had pointed out that they're really good at getting you from A to B. So maybe they should have used the Thestrals to write this movie scene. I don't know. Maybe. Just a thought. Just saying. <laughs> but it has no problem with Harry getting on its back. Except for the fact that it makes it a little bit more difficult for it to continue licking the blood off of his robes. So, like, the Thestral's sort of, like, turning his like head around. Like, chasing its hairy? keep licking <laughs> Harry's bloody robes. Like, literally bloody robes, not Britishly bloody robes. Yeah, not like, oh, bloody, bloody robes. robes. <laughs> no, it's, there, there's blood on them. There's gore involved, yes. Emaciated horsey bird snags. Mm-hmm. Ooh, did I just find the episode title? <laughs> Ew. <laughs> But anyway, Harry kind of gets himself all 
situated on the back of the horsey bird and then just sits there. Turns around and looks at everybody else. And Neville's like laying down, like on the back of the horsey <laughs> bird, but like laying down. I just, just imagine him hugging it for dear life, basically. Well, I mean, I can't imagine they have like semi-invisible emaciated horsey bird saddles. No. That they could wear. They're so definitely bareback in this shit. Oh, bareback in the horsey bird. Oh. Apparently. <sighs> He's not even fully on it. He's like trying to get his leg up and over it. So it's super awkward. Yeah. Much like Neville. Right. Just in general. Yes. Luna is full on like side saddle perched on hers. She would be. I love it so much. She completely looks like this is something she's done before. This is like a daily thing for her. She just breeds and owns her own Thestral that she rides. Right. Super comfortable. Uh Uh-huh. Honestly, knowing the adventures that she goes on with her dad, it is entirely possible she's ridden on the back of some weird creatures. It would not surprise me at all. Like... When it comes to odd creatures, first I think Hagrid, then I think Luna. Yeah. So it works. Newt's somewhere in the mix too, but not so much from this series. Well, yeah. And she did end up marrying his grandson. Yeah. So it's a perfect match. Yeah, it works out nicely. I love that idea, actually. Mm-hmm. But then you have Ron, Hermione, and Ginny that are just standing there doing nothing because they're like, how the fuck are we supposed to get on these emaciated horsey birds that we can't see at all? Well, yeah. I mean, that's got to be nerve wracking. And Luna is in Ravenclaw. She ultimately is the one who solves this, but it doesn't occur to her either. She just gets herself situated. We know it's not going to occur to Harry because he's definitely not Ravenclaw. And Neville is obviously too preoccupied to try and figure out how to get on his emaciated horsey bird to stop and think, how are people going to be able to get on the ones that they can't see? Exactly. Yeah. And Ron does flat out ask Harry, like, how are we supposed to do this? Yeah. We don't even know where they're standing, let yeah. alone how to get on something we literally can't see. Like, bro, I don't know if I'm near a face, an ass. I don't know what's going on right now. Can you just imagine Ron trying to mount and there's nothing there at all? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like blindly reaching out like he's trying to find his glasses oh, in midair or something. But like I said, it's Luna who solves it. Yeah. And she just slides off of the back of her Thestral and walks over to them and one by one helps them get onto the back of an emaciated horsey bird. Sure. And she kind of wraps their hands in the Thestral's manes so Mm -hmm. they have something to hold on to since they can't see what they're holding on to. Right. Can you just imagine, though, too, like if they didn't have Luna's out and they actually got on the horsey bird, but they were all like backwards? Right? Like holding onto the tail or something. <laughs> like, oh my god, I would have loved to see something like that in the movie. It's like, hi ho, Silva, away, and then they run backwards. Like, that'd be great. And there's no fixing that once you get no. going. No, there's no coming back from it. No, there just isn't. Ron makes a comment about how wild this is, and he expresses that he wishes he could see them he's just like if only i could see what was happening and harry's just like uh you better hope it stays invisible man (laughs) like don't start wishing this shit upon us you do not want to witness death in this moment yeah or any moment but eventually they figure it all out they're all mounted holding on to something on this emaciated horsey bird and harry's just like well can you take us to the visitor's entrance at the Ministry of Magic in London? Who knew that Thestrals were better than GPS? Apparently they are, because just for a second it stands there, and then it just 
sweeps out its wings and takes off flying. It like crouches down and just shoots upward. So basically it was like a silent like calculating route. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Whoosh. And Harry has to like clench his arms and legs to stop himself from sliding off the back. And he can actually see what's going on. Yeah. That's... Mm. See, I don't know that I'd be down with the Thestral ride. Would you be willing to ride on a Thestral if you could see it? If I could see it, sure. If I could see it, yeah, of course. I mean, if, if I can see something, yeah. I mean, it'd be weird, but like not that much weirder than any other But animal. you definitely wouldn't do it if you couldn't see it? I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. I'm saying like shit's got to really be going down for yeah. me to be like, yeah, sure, I'll get on the back of this invisible fucking creature. You know and, me, I'm Gryffindor. I'm totally, I'm totally oh, yeah. doing it. <laughs> oh, I know you would be down for it. I'm just like, all I'm thinking is like being in the air and just not having anything underneath me or not being able to see anything underneath me. I'm not saying I wouldn't close my eyes, I but I'd just, do it. Mm, nope, I don't, I don't know. I'm, uh, I don't want to bitch out, but like, maybe if it's not where we have to fly in the fucking clouds... Yeah, I don't know. I kind of want to know what our patrons think about this. I mean, yeah. Would you ride an emaciated horsey bird if you couldn't see it? Or even if you could. Or if you could. Yeah, this is basically where the movie comes in, joining back up with our golden and silver trio, all flying on creatures that only three of them can see. Right. But that's never really pointed out in the movie either, though. None of them make any kind of tell that they can't see what's going yeah, on. Yeah, not in the movie for sure. Like we know from the beginning that they couldn't see the horsey birds because Luna was the only one who's like, I can see them too. But then yeah. nothing else ever again. And Neville's never mentioned being Neville able to see them never either. mentioned that he can see them. Luna and Harry have the conversation about them one on one. Yeah, but there's nobody else involved. There's no, cl- like they don't even know what the fuck they are. The right. others don't. It's never covered in class. It's never talked about. Not that the movie shows us. They just think Harry's fucking insane because of, you know, the horseless carriages that are not fucking horseless. Technically, they are horseless because they're not horses. Okay, they're not emaciated horsey birdless. That's better. Okay. (laughs) I'm glad we figured that out. But you see Harry and Luna flying on the emaciated horsey birds, and they seem fine with it, but you don't even see, like, what's going on behind them. You see Neville and all of them on the horsey birds, but... We don't get a reaction. We don't get anything about it. That was not important to the film in any way, shape, or form. And I wish it had been because it's fun. And you know what? It would have been a really fun callback to going back to Prisoner of Azkaban when Hermione was riding on Buckbeak with Sirius and Harry. Oh, I don't like this. I really don't like this. I don't like flying. Yeah. That one. Yep. You know, that could have been a good callback. But no. But no, we didn't get that at all. I kind of imagine to an onlooker who can't see Thestrals either, it had to look something like Wonder Woman riding her invisible jet and just had to be 10 times more unnerving for the actual riders. Yeah. Because there's nothing there. Nothing there. there. I kind of wonder too, though, if you can't see the Thestrals, when you get on a Thestral... Do you just look like you're sitting on an invisible horse? That's what I'm saying. is there some kind of thing around them that might make you invisible too? I can't imagine that. Also, while I'm just pondering things here, is this a witch and wizard thing only? Or can muggles who have witnessed death also see Thestrals? I don't know. I feel like we have a bunch of ponderings this week. We got some ponderings, man. 
You would have thought we would have covered this during the actual horsey bird section, but... Nope. This one just popped into my head right now. Yeah. But anyway, in the book, we obviously get a ton more details specifically for their entire flight. Mm -hmm. Although most of it does kind of focus on Harry's perspective of it as the books are from his perspective. Yeah. But he's closing his eyes like I would. It's legit. Actually, he's full on pressing his face into the Thestral's mane, but you also kind of have to consider that it might be a little chilly the higher up you get. Yeah. And then the book specifically mentions that they're coming out of the forest into the sun because it hasn't set yet. Yeah. So maybe when you're up that high, it's also really bright and... Bright and cold. Yeah. I'm I'm assuming there's a lot of factors going on here. And then on top of that, still got to be nerve wracking. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, the emaciated horsey birds move super fast, mm-hmm. and they do so with their wings barely beating, so there must be some kind of, like, magic propelling them to be able to go that fast. Possibly, Because it yeah. seems like it's pretty smooth. Mike wondered if maybe they have a helicopter tail. <laughs> I love that. A little propeller tail. But when Harry looks back to see everyone behind him, just to make sure, I don't know what he's going to do at that point if they're not. Right. They're all like bent over low in their seats because what else do you do? Yeah. But then they just fly over the grounds and Hogsmeade and past all of the other villages. And now the sun is actually starting to go down. Mm -hmm. So it's just getting darker, which honestly might help a little bit because... If you're in the dark, you can't see anyway, so then you can just imagine you're on the back of a flying horsey bird as opposed to... That, and again, you might essentially just look like you're hovering over nothing. Yeah. And just flying in midair in a sitting position. At, I don't know. I would at least, like, Superman it. Right. Like, stick my arm out. Just in case someone can see me, yeah. you know. Ron is apparently yelling about how bizarre it is. And I am Ron. Yeah. Which makes perfect sense because it's gotta be fucking bizarre yeah and harry is even there thinking like this is weird being able to see what i'm doing i couldn't imagine doing it without any of the visible supports right not to mention the fact that you're also looking at five other people who are floating midair depending on who you are that's what i'm saying like if you're one of the ones who can't see it you're like okay This is not normal at all, but I mean, at least I'm with five other people who are not normal, so... Which is accurate anyway, but yeah. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) But like I said, it gets dark enough that now the only thing they can really see that tells them how fast they're going is the lights from the town. So they've just got lights Mm -hmm. blurring underneath them way far below, essentially. I don't know how high up they actually do fly, but... God, I couldn't look down. I... I... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, eyes closed. Definitely. Oh, man. One thing in here that Mike pointed out as he was helping me with this summary is that within the same sentences, they literally go back and forth between calling them Thestrals and calling them horses. Mm. Like, it actually says that Harry keeps his arms wrapped around his horse's neck. I would feel better if they called them steeds or something. But yeah, that that is a little odd. I never really thought about that. He also wonders why Thestral is capitalized. It's a proper noun? I guess. It's not. I don't. Now I'm imagining the horsey birds sipping tea and stuff. Right? Oh, yes, thank you. I got my charge to their location today. (laughs) Did you see... Lawrence flying through the air. He was so magnificent. Ah. <laughs> ah. 
But Harry is perfectly okay with how fast the horsey bird is going and actually willing it to go faster because his main thought is getting to his dog father as quickly as possible. Well, yeah. He knows that he has not given up or died yet because he's positive that he would feel that in his scar. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't know how long it's actually been since he had that first vision dream, depending on whether or not you were reading the book or watching the movie. Right. He doesn't really know how long it's been since then. So naturally, this section tends to focus a lot on him worrying about if they're going to be too late, if Voldemort decides that Sirius isn't going to break or if he just gives up and I don't know, like everything that could go wrong is going through Harry's head. Oh, yeah. He's got worst case scenario going on 24-7 loop. Right Which now. I totally get. Like that's yeah. just, it's hard not to do that when you know that you're headed towards something bad. Exactly. This is the first moment he's had where he doesn't have to figure anything out in this moment. Right. So what's he going to do? He's going to look ahead to, okay, what's going to happen when I get there? Obsess obsessively over everything that could possibly go wrong in the near future. That is what he is going to do. I mean, Harry gone Harry. Harry gone <laughs> Harry. And in this moment, I am not Hermione. In this moment, I am 100% Harry. Yeah, definitely. I'm like, okay, so let's say... Sirius is in the Department of Mysteries with Voldemort and with the candlestick, with the candlestick <laughs> and the revolver, possibly and, the lead pipe. Yes, definitely like, some rope. <laughs> definitely. No doubt. You got to plan for all the possible inevitabilities. Of yeah. A game of Clue. You really. sure do. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't resist. Anyway. All of this shit's going through his head. And then, yay, they actually start to descend. So now he knows they've got to be getting close. Mm -hmm. And that gives him something somewhat new to think about. Because he's like, shit, we're getting closer and closer and closer to the ground and still moving really fast. So he just like braces himself for this impact. But then again, the horse, because that's what it says, Thestral, just touches down lightly like a shadow and Mike's just like how I'm gonna go with magic basically magic I love that he leaves me little notes in his summaries for me when in doubt yep magic perfect magic totally mm -hmm. magic and then Harry just slides from its back and he sees that telephone box that they used when he went to the Ministry of Magic with yep. Mr. Weasley for his hearing mm-hmm I mean what else are you gonna do right he doesn't know any other way in yeah, well, he did tell him to go to the visitor's entrance. Yeah. So that is the visitor's entrance. But That's what I'm saying. It's, I mean. I don't know if he could have told the Thestrals to take him to the employee entrance and if that would have meant anything. But I mean, but again, would Harry have known how to get in that way? No, probably not. Exactly. So one of my favorite parts that Mike and I actually agree on from this point, because he left me a little note on this one, too, is that when Ron's emaciated horsey bird thestral horse whatever you want to call him mm -hmm. lands he just immediately falls off of it sure <laughs> says that he's never doing that again and tries to walk away from the thestral but since he can't see it he just walks right into it and falls over again it and would be me how do you not include this they love doing Right. Physical humor. And they especially love having Ron do physical humor. You especially love Ron making himself look stupid as like, fuck. So, this yeah. Was beautiful slapstick. And they were like, nah, we don't need it. 
again, if they did that, they would have to bring attention to the fact that only three of the rescue party could see the Thestrals to begin with. Yeah. And apparently we're skipping that part. Uh, apparently we're skipping that part. Hermione and Ginny are the next two to land, and they actually do so without falling off. So mm-hmm. yay them, because they can't see it either. Right? But they are super happy to be back on the ground. Yes. Neville jumps down from his. He's shaking. At least he can see it, I guess, though. I don't know. Right. And Luna just, like, slides right off the side of her horse. Totally cool. I can't imagine she was secure riding that side saddle, but... It's Luna. It's Luna. Maybe she was. Maybe she was perfectly comfortable. It's Luna. Luna has thighs of steel. Thighs of steel. And then in her typical Luna, airy-fairy fashion... Almost disinterestedly, she asks where they're headed next. Just like, all right, what do we need to know? Where to now, guys? Well, we flew, of course, so what's next? Where to? Lead the way, Harry. And he does. He takes them over to that telephone box, gets them all in, all six of them, in the one telephone box at one time. I've seen pictures like that from the 70s, I think. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And then he's just like, whoever can reach the receiver, dial 62442. And it's Ron who's able to reach it, but he has to like bend his arm really bizarrely to get to it. So it's like a game of vertical twister. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Interesting. But then that female voice from the beginning of the book, from his hearing, welcomes them to the Ministry of Magic and wants to know their names and business. Mm-hmm. So Harry just like rattles off all six of their names really fast and then says that they're there to rescue somebody unless you think your ministry can do it first (laughs) and mike makes a comment here too in parentheses about how you'd think that they would have shut down the visitor's entrance at night i wonder that too i'm not sure what time it even is at this point like obviously it's dark but what time does the sun set is it that late wouldn't they have nobody's in there so or is there Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you think that there would be people that'd be there overnight? Or I don't know. It's government. Maybe they don't fucking work. Past I was going to say, I'm, I, government jobs. <laughs> mm. Or maybe Voldemort did something to make it still work. He's pretty powerful. Oh. I don't know. Or, I mean, maybe there's like fail safes. Yeah. Considering the fact that there are so many dangerous things in the ministry. I wonder how many times they have people who come in and are like, we're here for the rescue search party. Right. (laughs) And so the visitor's entrance may just be like, oh, yeah, cool. Come on in. He accidentally gave them the like secret code to get in after hours. (laughs) Rescue mission. Code blue. Code blue. (laughs) Exactly. Like it may have just been the perfect storm of phrases. Yeah. Honestly. Who knows? Or it could just be a convenient plot device. There's that too. I do have to say though, I love the fact that at the end of it, Harry's just like, or, you know, if you guys can do it, that's cool too. Like (laughs) it reminds me of back in the day when you had to make collect calls, but you just needed to like, we out of baby, it's a boy. (laughs) Bob, we out of baby, eats a boy. I used to do that. Will you accept? No, no. I used to do that to my mom to come and get me from school and it'd be like, please say your name after the tone. I'd be like, mom, come get me. Like, <laughs> hang up. And 20 minutes later, she'd be coming to get me. <laughs> That's just what that felt like right there. Yeah. Like, what? Well, so it would be Harry Potter, Hermione Granger, Ron Weasley, Ginny Weasley, Neville Longbottom, Luna Lovegood, here for a rescue party. 
Unless you guys can do it yourselves. Do it for us, please. All in one breath. One big word. Yeah. And just like when Mr. Weasley told them their names and said that he was escorting Harry Potter on his discipline hearing, Mm -hmm. they got the badge and Harry's badge then said Harry Potter disciplinary hearing. This time, the phone coin dispenser sends out six badges that all say their names and he picks them up. The top one says Harry Potter rescue mission. Which was our trivia question. That it was. Mm-hmm. So that female voice also reminds them to stop to get searched and register their wands because. Sure. Apparently that's just what you do as a visitor. Yeah. And Harry's just like, yeah, fine, whatever. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Can we go now? Can we go now? Can we go now? Can we go now? And I don't know if the telephone box is actually responding to Harry's impatience or if that's just the process. It starts to move, though. Yeah. Just an automated thing, probably. Right. It just, you know, it's like an elevator and it just descends down into the ministry. We obviously got to see that once before in the movie. But yes. The one time, time, not now. Yeah. yeah. Of course. Why why would we get to see it twice? That's silly. I have, because they don't love us or want us to be happy. No, they really don't. Well, you know what? I don't want you to be happy either. Not you, but the movie. But the Never mind. Moving on. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, despite them all being crammed in this telephone box, six of them mm-hmm. harry like tries to bend his knees so that he can see and look out to see if there's anybody waiting for him once yeah. they get down into the atrium but it is empty yeah which i mean good luck getting your wand checked now i guess i guess maybe you don't have to <laughs> but i really would have liked to see this aspect of it because again slapstick the telephone box opens up and they all just sort of fall out of it yeah Although I feel like they'd be more packed into it and falling out wouldn't really be the thing that would happen. I don't know, because all that would need to happen is one would just need to move just enough. The last person is just like pressed up against the door. Yeah, so exactly. the second that it opens, they're just like, Bleh. and then it's just the dam has broken. It's essentially like the snakes in a can, you yeah. know, or Wah. you open the can and it's like, Wah. yeah, exactly. Surprise, motherfucker. Exactly. Not usually what the can says, but yeah, it's something like that. No, I believe that's more of the sentiment of the yes. can. <laughs> I just made myself think of the guy who did the video because of the surprise motherfucker from Dexter. Oh, yeah. All rides, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. That's right. I was thinking in Eurotrip, the kid's mail notification thing it was like, mail, motherfucker. <laughs> no, rude eyes, motherfucker. <laughs> Oh, man, that was funny. Uh, anyway, it has nothing to do with Harry moving Potter. Moving on, yeah. I'm sure that you're going to be completely surprised by this, but again, didn't get any of that. Not a bit of it. In the movie, no, no. Instead, we cut to the motliest of crews descending from dark clouds over London as lightning flashes behind them. Now, I'm no meteorologist, but I can't help but feel that flying directly through lightning-riddled clouds is a dumb way to die. Or a really shocking one. Fuck off. Seriously? Oh my God. <laughs> Helen? It was there. You forced it there. No, you set it up. No. Yeah. You. It happened. Okay. However it got there, I digress because we're moving on. 
They make their way to the ministry and they run through the empty arrival hall. So dingish. Dingish. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. It's like uh, they gave us something. Sure. That's a cute way to put it. Yeah. They're just like running really kind of half acidly through through like the arrival hall with the fireplaces Mm -hmm. where everyone was showing up and all that. And it was just weird. And that also made me wonder, seeing all the fireplaces and everything, made me wonder, why didn't they just go back to Umbridge's office when they got back to the school? Yeah, you'd think that she would easily be able to flu powder right into yeah the ministry whenever she needed She's to. She's a ministry official. Right. I mean, if her fireplace can't do it, who the fuck's can? Although, if we go by the movie, Umbridge's office is probably really gross right now. That's true. Also, more disturbing... Than riding on invisible emaciated horsey birds that three out of the six can't even see? Well, they also run into the possibility of being recaptured by the Inquisitorial Squad because they may have recovered by then in the movie. But in the book, they just used curses on them and whatnot. I I guess that's true. Also, only one of them is a Ravenclaw and she is not the one that they're going to listen to. I mean, they listened to her about the horsey birds, but okay. That's because it was a good idea and they had literally no other options. I guess. It feels like a plot hole to me, but whatever. Seems very terribly thought out. Yeah, well, they are kids. That's true. (laughs) And flying through the clouds with lightning was just a movie thing because there's the drama they're going to give us. They're going to put things that did not happen in the book. Well, of course. But it did kind of set the tone. A little bit, yes. And it got you the transition of like, hey, we started this ride at daytime. Now it's nighttime and there's lightning because that only happens at nighttime. It only happens when you're flying into an ominous situation. Yes. Something. I don't know. Anyway. But in the book, it's kind of a ding because like you said, they're going through the main area and it's empty as fuck. Mm Mm-hmm. The only actual sound that is heard is the water coming from that fountain. Oh, yeah, the golden fountain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the only thing that they hear is water. Yeah. It is completely silent. They are just running down the atrium. There's no security wizard at the desk, so they obviously don't have to stop and submit Mm -hmm. their wands or get searched or anything. And Harry also, just in that brief moment of running past it, acknowledges this to be an ominous sign. Yeah. So... Somewhere in there, he's making note of the fact that it is weird. That it's empty. That it's empty. Yeah. Also, with that water running, I'm just, I think everybody's just glad they don't have to pee. I feel like they totally emptied their bladders on that ride. (laughs) And they're all really glad they wore their brown robes. I know I would be. (laughs) For sure. I think we were actually talking about this in our patron group chat. Mm -hmm. Where... It was just sort of weird that it was empty. Like, you'd think that there might still be people around or security or something. I'd say at least a night watchman. Right. Something. So I think we were talking about how there was the possibility that Voldemort took care of that as part of this whole elaborate scheme that he set up Mm -hmm. to lure Harry there. Yeah. I mean, it's entirely possible. We know he has inns at the ministry. Like, we know he has murder munchers. Who are ministry employees yep. or like friends of ministry employees. Or... Like Nazi von Douchebag the first. Exactly. The minister will hear about this. Exactly. So we know he has the capability or likely has the capability. 
So I don't see that as like far out of the realm of possibility at yeah. all. That's just what we kind of ended up settling on in the group chat. Yeah. I mean, it makes the most sense, really. But like I said, running through the atrium, they get to the lift, get in and make their way down to the ninth level, which is where Harry learned. Thanks to the disciplinary hearing is where the Department of Mysteries is. Which makes sense. Isn't that the, also like the worst level of hell too? <laughs> Probably. Ninth, ninth level of hell. I don't know if it's just because the place is otherwise empty or maybe it just has to do with nerves or he's super concerned that they're going to get caught. I mean, that would make sense. But all he can think is how fucking loud the lift sounds when it did not sound that loud in his memory when he was there with Mr. Weasley. Yeah, but I mean, there were people there. There was a lot of other noise going on. There were departmental memos. Yeah, and now it is just silence except for water. Yeah. And the lift. (laughs) (laughs) Or the lift. (laughs) Yeah, I mean. Yeah, so he is just convinced that the noise of this lift is going to attract all of the security people in the ministry. But then they get down to the ninth level and it's still empty. Nobody there. But they step out of the elevator and they see the black door at the end of the hall. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is like this moment for him seeing it for real after he's been dreaming about it all fucking year. It's just yeah. like, that is it. We're here. Yeah, Let's I know that. Go. <laughs> but somebody should stop here and be the lookout. Mm-hmm. How about you five? <laughs> How about all five of you just hang back? <laughs> How about Neville, Ginny, and Luna? Yeah. <laughs> Right. You guys just hang back. No, it's actually Neville, Ginny, and Ron who are immediately like, um, no. Mm-hmm. We're going. Let's just get on with it. Right. I mean, and really leaving one person behind when you consider who would be the one to show up likely. Yeah. If something were to go bad. Leaving one person by themselves. One or two or even three. Again, being lookout, what are they going to do yeah. to warn them anyway? Yeah. Once the rest of them go through that door, you don't know what is behind that door. Mm-hmm. It's not like we can say, oh, yeah, I'll just run through and find you. And you don't know what it's going to be. They don't have a method of communicating. Exactly. I'm sure Hermione could have come up with something, but not that quickly. And Harry say. ultimately knows this is just like a last ditch effort. He ultimately knows It's not a good idea. He's never going to win this one. So let's just go. Whatever. Yeah. Like, I tried. Fine. Fuck it. Let's do this. (laughs) So he just makes the way to the door the rest of the way, approaches the door, and it opens on its own. Mm Mm-hmm. Much like it did in the dream. So pretty sus. A little bit. Yeah. Once they go through that door, they end up in this large circular room where everything is black, just identical. Mm Mm-hmm. There are about 12 doors, no handles, set at even intervals along the wall. Yeah. With candles between each door. Mm Mm-hmm. With blue flames. Sure. So this is a kind of a creepy sounding room. I mean, the whole thing started out pretty creepy, and we're really just continuing on with the creepy Yeah, it's just ramping it up. I am actually really disappointed we didn't get to see this aesthetic. Oh, so am I. As well as what happens in this circular room. Yes. I think that, yes, it probably would have been some CGI that might have been a pain to do or cost them more money. But at this point, they should know and have a good fucking budget. 
I don't agree with any time someone was like, well, it would have cost him so much in CGI and this and this and this. I'm sorry. Did you see the dragon scene in the last movie? Right. Like, come on. You're not going to tell me that they're over here pinching pennies over some fucking CGI and then they created that monstrosity of an intense chase scene. I can't even fathom what was going on in their heads where they're like, eh, we don't need that for the story. You need it for the fans. This would have been fucking cool. Some really cool magic. This was one of my favorite kind of parts to right. imagine when I read yeah. it. And the suspense that it created and the conflict. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the visual. Like, aesthetically, it would have been interesting. For sure. Story-wise, it would have been dramatic. Yeah. Better than fucking flying through lightning on emaciated horsey birds. Exactly. But no. Yeah. It was very much missed for certain. Yeah. But, like... I can kind of get from a time perspective, but also you make that movie and it becomes six hours long. I will still sit there and watch the whole fucking thing. Hey, 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 choir, quit preaching to me. I'm sure you all have listened to all of the episodes leading up to this one. And you remember how we talked about when we first started this podcast It was born out of me going over to Katie's house for a weekend when my husband was out of town Mm -hmm. so that we could do a Harry Potter marathon. And we did literally try to watch all seven of them in one weekend. Yes. Eventually we had to sleep and then we ended up talking way too much. Yeah. (laughs) Funnily enough, we got to this movie and skipped it except for the scene that we're finally getting to. (laughs) So now this podcast is really going to ramp up because we're getting to the good part in our minds. Right. (laughs) <laughs> well, not the whole podcast, but this season, you could yeah. say. But yeah, anyway, so we're super excited about what happens here because what happens here is that Harry tells someone to shut the door that they just came through. And the moment that Neville does, mm-hmm. here it comes all of the hallway light gets cut off. So it's just that blue candlelight. Mm-hmm. There's this rumbling sound and the candles begin to move sideways, creating this blue light blur because the fucking walls are rotating. Holy shit, though, guys. How like, fucking cool would that have been to see? This is where I'm on. at. Like, I would have loved to see the hysterical comedy of Ron completely falling into a horsey bird because he can't see it. Sure. But I would have also loved to have seen this and then them having to solve how to figure out which door to go through next. Yeah. How do you not include this? And I get that it kind of dragged this scene out a little bit further and it wasn't strictly necessary, but it also was kind of necessary because it's fucking cool. It was very cool. Are you okay? No. Okay. I will be if they put it in the TV series. Well, we'll, we shall see. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho. We'll, We'll make sure to write some strongly worded letters. Right. Maybe they'll listen to our podcast. Probably not. Yeah. But anyway, back to the episode at hand. Eventually, the wall stops rotating. Ron's like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. And it's Ginny because she's not dumb. She's like, Mm -hmm. it's probably set up that way. So you don't know what door you came through. Which is really rather impressive to think of. I'm going to go with mysterious. What? (laughs) What? It's like they planned it that way. So this is definitely some magical wuju that really messes with everything going on in the rooms. or Right. And you know what? It honestly, it may not even actually be something that 
happens. Like, it may not be that the wall actually spins. It may be something that is to trick you into thinking that the wall is spinning. Maybe. It could also be that the doors aren't doorways to other rooms. It's more like a portal. Exactly. Like like a port key type of thing. Yeah, yeah for sure. Once Harry hears Ginny say this, he knows that she's got to be right mm-hmm. because he has no idea which door they came through. Like I yeah. said, there's 12 of them and it they are sense. identical. Yeah. And this is where we're cutting off the book chapter because, like I said, mysterious. There is more to come, yes. Dun, dun, dun. And again, none of that happened in the movie. I know we already said that. Just just none of but it. But to really just like I know lay we... it out there like that, it kind of hurts. <laughs> I know we've been saying it for the last three and a half years, but none of that happened in the movie. <laughs> and... <laughs> What was it that we said last episode, how the movies were actually really good movies, as long as you didn't look at the source material? As long as you didn't take the source material, sure. Yeah. And paid zero attention to the plot holes and all that stuff. Yeah, they were great movies. They were great. Fantastic. Good lord. So none of that fucking happened. Instead... We just cut right to the interior of the Ministry of Magic as the elevator lady's voice chimes merrily that they have arrived at the Department of Mysteries. And I do kind of love that as an aside. Like, for some reason, it's just, it makes me laugh that everything that's going on and they're like freaking out about all this stuff going on. And there's still this lovely la, voice. La, 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 la. Department of Mysteries. And it does kind of ding to the books because there is that female voice that tells them what to do exactly but then it shows the same black tiled hall from harry's dreams along with the door at the end of said hall i mean talk about hiding shit in plain sight like at least make it a little bit harder to get to oh my god i have a great idea oh i'm nervous but okay no they totally could have them go through that door and end up in like a circular room with 12 doors total, that when they close the door they came through, that room rotates, and then they don't know what door they came through, and they're, bam, mysterious, because it's the Department of Mysteries. Fitting. Yeah. Right? I just, oh, that would have been so cool that if they'd done really, that. That really, neat. Oh, my God, they should have put that in the book, too. That would have been really fucking cool. <laughs> wow. I think we're kind of assholes. Actually, I'm not an asshole. I'm a dick sizzle. Thank you very much. <laughs> Well, my dick sizzle friend, yes, that would have been very cool to have in the movie. <laughs> <sighs> but they all make their way out of the lift, which they're not like crammed into like they were in the phone booth. So not funny there either, but whatever, fine. And they get out of the lift and Harry's just like, yep, dream hall, ominous door, certain death, check, check, checkity check. Uh, we're here. Like, and yep. that's pretty accurate. I mean, he doesn't really say any of it, but his <laughs> face totally does. Right. I mean, you, you can see yeah. the nerves. Check, it's check, there. checkety check. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Definitely. And right there at check, check, checkety check, that's where we are going to cut off the movie section. Yeah, because. What else are we going to say? It literally like the very next thing that happens kind of just takes you right into the thing that happens here yeah and then the book still has a little bit more quite a bit more so really yeah it was a weird cutoff again yeah the movie section wasn't that long to begin with no but it definitely 
had a clear like this corresponded even if it wasn't detailed in any way shape or form right and then the next half does correspond it might be a teeny bit more detailed but again the actual mystery of the department of mysteries is missing and sadly again there are no new actors so let's just go right into our potter pondering sounds good to me obviously the movie section was perfectly coherent but since it left out nearly all of the details, what would you really have liked to see from the first half of the book chapter? And then also, we want to know, would you be willing to ride an emaciated horsey bird, whether you can see them or not? Yeah. But be specific. Yeah, would it make a difference if you could see them or not? Or how would that go for you? Yeah. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or... Call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your responses a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. Don't forget you can also stitch your response on TikTok. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. Again, we don't have a sorting hat story, but as always, if you send them, we will read them. Mm-hmm. You can email them too for foxsakepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can message them to us over social media. This week's trivia question is, what does Luna think the pearly white objects drifting around in a tank of green water are? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word, hashtag, actually they are brains, will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at foxsakepod. Following us on Podbean at foxsakepod.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at ForFoxSakePodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on Patreon.com slash FoxSakePod. $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like For Fox Sake swag, access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated, even if it's just telling your Harry Potter friends about us. And if you don't have any Harry Potter friends, there's another reason to join our Patreon, because you will meet some of the best Harry Potter people ever. I mean, just the best people ever, really. There's that too. Period. End of sentence. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 34, the Department of Mysteries, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. And in the meantime... Keep calming Harry on! Oh, for fuck's sake. Oh, for fuck's sake.